Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Anton Zachwer podcast. Our guest today is Greg Schmaus. And for anyone who doesn't know who Greg is, he is the CEO of Healing 4D. He is a holistic health practitioner, a shamanic energy healer, a massage therapist, and a graduate of the Czech Institute. And none of this does anything to actually reflect just how special I think Greg is. Um, I've been following Greg for about a year, and... Yeah, he's, he's a special guy. I think you'll pick this up immediately when you tune into his energy, but he's just so calm and present. And in this podcast, we dive deep into our anxiety epidemic, our depression epidemic, and why so many people are suffering from anxiety and depression. And, and from Greg's perspective, I love that he shared this. He shared that in his perspective, depression is a cycle and we often don't view it that way. That depression is a period of transition when things are shifting in us. And a lot of the time we resist this transition. We cling on to who we think we're supposed to be and what we think we're supposed to do. And we prolong this period much longer than we have to. And I just, I found that, that clicked with me. I I immediately, just something in me went, yeah, that's true. You know, or at least in all of my experiences of my depression, that is absolutely what it was for me every single time. Even if it lasted two, three years, it was still just a, a massive upheaval of an old identity. And also in this podcast, we talked a lot about the pressure to perform in a consumerist society like ours, where we value more than anything consumerism and productivity and just the mental health struggles that come with being a content creator, being a podcaster, being an entrepreneur in this society, how we are punished for taking time off. We're punished for taking time to reflect and to hibernate and to, to grow and to evolve. And, you know, just for a lot of people in positions such as myself, just, it's tough. And we also talked connected to that, this idea of how we all prostitute ourselves through obligation. And how I realized in this podcast that I had prostituted myself out for the last two and a half years on YouTube, you know, doing things I didn't want to do, making content I didn't want to make, and just feeling like I had to work and I had to do things when it was probably best to just take some time to wait for a period of inspiration to come around again before I went back out in the world and shared my energy with people. And so this was a very reflective podcast and yeah, it was a special one. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank our first sponsor of the show, Listening to Smile, and its founder and personal friend of mine, Ian Morris. Listening to Smile is one of the companies leading the movement to bring frequency-minded music to the mainstream. And for anyone who doesn't know, frequency-minded music is music that is infused with binaural beats and frequencies that enhance and speed up our body's natural healing mechanisms. And Ian's music is actively healing the world and is currently inspiring open-minded leaders in Silicon Valley to include his music in their products and to help them create a workplace culture that is focused on mental health and well-being. 
And I personally use Listening to Smiles products every single day to support me with stress relief and is my music of choice for my daily meditation practice. And Listening to Smile has two main programs. The first is their personal wellness program, and this is for personal use, and this consists of healing albums for stress relief, pain relief, and anxiety relief. And the second program is their affiliate program. This is what I'm currently part of, and this is for commercial use, and this is the exciting one. So what you get with this is two free starter albums and one brand new album every single month. You also get access to monthly live coaching events with founder Ian Morris and commission earnings on album sales, a 50% discount on all music purchases, and licensing licensing rights to use and resell LTS music for commercial use. So... If you're interested in transforming your life and entering the expanding frontier of frequency-minded music, be sure to go to www.listeningtosmile.com and experience it for yourself. And at checkout, make sure to use code ANTON to get 40% off all albums and $100 off of their affiliate program. So enjoy, everyone. I also want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor of the show, Vidara, and their My Indigo Sun magazine. The mission of My Indigo Sun is to help you live a healthy and inspired life and is dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest information related to the realms of the body, mind, and spirit. And I actually met the founder, Katerina, um, at an event earlier this year. And within five minutes, it was very clear that we were aligned and that we were going to be doing a partnership. And like myself and many of you, the people of Vidara are dreamers who see that the beautiful world we see ahead of us starts with us. So in addition to being their in-house podcaster, I'm also part of the working group helping my Indigo son to transition into a world-class publication. So if you are interested in transforming your life and taking part in an evolving spiritual community, be sure to go to www.myindigosun.com and check out the magazine for free. And now on to our podcast with Greg Schmaus. The biggest reason why I wanted to invite you on the podcast, Greg, is I feel like right now, in the world there's a lot of chaos there's a lot of fear there's a lot of uncertainty and yeah i think that people i i think there's so much fear and you know that can be propagated through governments and just just the state of the world right now that people are locking themselves into their ideologies and they're becoming their that's what their identity is becoming is their ideologies mm-hmm. And, and I've seen it happen with friends of mine. I, I've even seen it happen with myself at certain times in my life where, you know, the fear grips me and then I turn into, all right, it's either you're with me or you're against me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that just play out everywhere in mm-hmm. society nowadays. And, and I think that the biggest thing that I want to do is I want to, as I told you before, unite these polarities but no longer do that by hiding. I think a lot of the time when we're trying to bring people together, we end up making ourselves feel small in the hope that we can be this crossing, this crossing ground. And we end up in some sense 
being out of integrity, being walked all over because no one knows who we are. We don't know who we are. And what I love about you and since I've been following you, you for about a year is that I love how you are open hearted. You're kind. You're very rational. You're very logical. You're able to detach from situations and yourself and at the same time, something that, that is inspiring to me is your ability to do all of that and see the big picture while also not being overly polarizing. You know, mm-hmm. you, you'll say the truth. You, you'll say, this is my perspective on this issue. This is my perspective on that issue. But I love that you you don't cause unnecessary wars between people by the very nature of the way you speak. And so that's something that I very much value about you and one of the reasons why I had you on. So, Greg, thank you for uh, coming on the show and welcome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that intro. And um, a couple things that were coming up for me as you were sharing that is, number one, I learned that the hard way. So I learned that through a lot of unnecessary conflict. Not that conflict is bad. I think there's tremendous value in conflict, but it's like the unnecessary back and forth that's very stressful and is not going anywhere because both parties are in this sympathetic fight or flight state where I realized that you can never engage someone who's in a sympathetic state and actually have a productive conversation, or you can never engage someone when you're in a sympathetic fight or flight state and actually have a productive conversation. And so my mantra lately has really been, don't try and change their minds, shift their state. And once you can shift their state, especially on the level of the nervous system, then you actually open the door for a new perspective. Because when someone's under stress, they're going to attach to what they know. It's like a survival response. It's, it's the default mode network of the brain or the root chakra energetically, which is very much based in like tribalism and like needing a sense of belonging to something greater than yourself, which in these times might be a belief system or like a political party. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to like the state of our culture's nervous system. Like our collective nervous system is so out of balance with all of the stress and the overstimulation that for me, my main priority has been shifting the nervous system to then open the door for some new idea. This is why, you know, my mentor, Paul Check says, when you're running from a lion, don't throw in a cartwheel. (laughs) And what he's saying is like, when you're in survival mode, like running for your life, anything that's creative is a threat to your survival. Wow. Right? So you shut down all creativity and creativity equates to a new idea. A new idea would be a creative idea or novel thinking. So when you're under stress or you're in survival mode, and remember that stress could come from anywhere. That could be financial stress, relationship stress, nutritional stress, you know, the stress response in your body is not compartmentalized. So you could have an argument with your, this is very common, like have an argument with someone, have like tremendous conflict in a relationship or in a conversation. And it just because 
it happened just because you're low blood sugar. Wow. Like just because you ate too many carbohydrates in an improper ratio to like fats and proteins that you're on this blood sugar roller coaster, you have cortisol pumping through you. And now your perception of the world is coming from a place of stress, you know? So that's where even just like getting people to manage their blood sugar better could like change the world <laughs> because it actually brings them back into a parasympathetic state where they feel safe enough to have an honest conversation. Wow. It's so easy, isn't it? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, we, we lose it. And something that came up with me when you were speaking is, man, it is so true that when you are stressed, like creativity doesn't flow and even happiness doesn't flow. Joy doesn't flow. Um, you know, I've been in situations, I'm sure you have too, where maybe you're living with a parent, you're living with a partner, a spouse, and you're not getting along very well. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of fighting. And, you know, when I've been in these situations for a prolonged period of time, you end up going into a depression. You know, a lot of the time, I think we think of depression as in a disease. It is this like thing, like a virus, like it comes in and now you're depressed. You've caught depression. But, you know, at the very simplest state, depression is just a state of depression. It's mm -hmm. like you're just you're you're as you would say, like your nervous system or the way you you interact with existence, the world, the universe isn't depressed. There's less bandwidth. There's less room for dynamics. It's always just gray. And I remember being in that state a year ago for nine months. Um, very stressful living situation um, where my creativity was definitely dwindled. Um, my ability to express myself, my, f I would just wake up and it wasn't like it was overly painful. It was because I had adapted to this heightened level of stress, chronic stress, where again, it's like, you know, you eat McDonald's every day for a year and you don't feel bad anymore. Because your mm -hmm. body has to adapt to this new thing. And it's like, okay, we can't feel terrible every time we have a cheeseburger anymore. Let's just minimize that that threshold. And so you just always feel a bit blah. And I think that from my perspective, and I'd love your, your opinion on this, um, what have been times in your life and what have you noticed about living in a state of chronic, you can call it low to moderate level stress, how does that impact your joy, your happiness, your creativity that you've noticed in your life? Well, you're never, when you're living in a constant state of stress, you're never settled in yourself. Mm. Like you're always outside of yourself. You're, everything is so externalized. So mm. we're always looking for things outside of us to either escape into, to, um, engage in as a way of disengaging parts of ourselves. So we're always running from ourselves, so to speak. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the feeling of anxiety, you know, anxiety is like this huge epidemic right yeah. now. It's, it always has been, but the last few years have kind of magnified it. And if you think about what anxiety really is, it's the attempt to try and escape yourself. It's the attempt to try and bypass whatever it is that you're actually experiencing inside of you. 
This is why I just released a video that asks the question, I think it's on YouTube, um, also on Instagram, is anxiety actually a feeling? Wow. And what I explored in the video is anxiety is not a feeling. Anxiety is the avoidance of feeling. Mm. So a lot of the chronic stress or anxiety is not actually a feeling. It's how you try and avoid a certain feeling that's uncomfortable. Like a lot of people with type A personalities that are workaholics that are kind of like feed on this like low to mid level of stress, like all day, every day. It's actually like a great avoidance strategy. It's almost like a socially approved avoidance strategy or socially approved addiction. There's actually a huge addiction to stress in our culture, because if you think about it, our culture is really based on um, consumerism and progress, right? And if it's based on consumerism and progress, then resting is a threat to that. So always mm. doing and producing there. That's the word I was looking for consuming and producing, right? Producing and consuming are the two things that our, our culture is addicted to. So mm. if you're in a constant state of stress, it's because you're in this constant loop of consume and then produce consume and then produce you produce more. So then you can consume more, you consume more and then you produce more. So it's just like this, kind of like vicious loop or cycle that you get caught in. But in reality, that's what the ego is addicted to in order for its own survival, right? If you're not consuming something or producing something, the ego is almost experiencing like the subtle death. Mm. When you actually sit quiet with yourself and not engage anything other than let's say your breath in a practice such as meditation, you start to feel all of the feelings that you were avoiding by consuming and producing, right? So it might be sadness. It might be grief. It might be fear. It might be anger. It might be some emotion that feels uncomfortable. Like there's something inside of us that feels vulnerable and uncomfortable. And therefore we use stress as an externalized addiction we use consumption and production as an addiction, as a way of avoiding some level of discomfort or vulnerability that we just don't want to feel. In addition to that, no one as a child got a reward for how well they rested. You got Mm. a reward for what you achieved. You got a reward for what you accomplished. So if you're not achieving or accomplishing, and that's the only way that you feel socially approved of or recognized and validated by friends and family. Mm. And as soon as you actually stop doing, your whole sense of self is now threatened. It starts being deconstructed. So we're actually addicted, if you want to now look at it from the highest vantage point, We're addicted to stress to avoid the deconstruction of an ego. Because once you stop doing and once you start being, and I don't mean that in kind of like the kind of (laughs) woo-woo, just like airy-fairy, like throwing out some like, you know, sexy like (laughs) statement there. Just when you actually stop doing and you're just like being with yourself, 
Like mm-hmm. the whole structure that you built your identity on is gone. So that's why we get addicted to stress to maintain that ego structure. Yeah. In my delusional opinion. <laughs> Dude, I um I feel that, man. Wait, when you're speaking. Yeah, I've done it so many times. Yeah, I did it yesterday. Oh, yeah, like, we, we all do it. Yeah, on so, some um, level. Yeah, I, I you know when you were when you were talking about this um we live in a culture of consumerism and productivity. Mm-hmm. Dude, that hit. That that hit and then yeah, the ego needs to to survive through what it is accomplished and what its value is to society and other people and even to itself. It has a value to itself that it needs. And I know, you know, and, and I, the society does propagate this, that I have a deep fear of like, I, I'll, I'll have anxiety attacks, not, not deeply, but just really low level. I'll just, yeah, maybe the anxiety attack is not the right word. I will, I will be very aware of my content schedule, how often I'm putting out content. And if I have a lull, especially like a podcast, because, you know, you have to set these things up. I have to get in contact with you. We have to meet. I have to schedule it. All these things. It's very time consuming. And so let's say I don't have a podcast that week. It's like, I feel like even the society of Instagram, YouTube, like these are almost societies. Like these, these, these worlds, like these social media networks are like meta societies that you're part of and that you belong to. And especially when you're on the content creator journey that I'm on, that you're on as someone who posts on Instagram and YouTube, it's like, I'm sure potentially, I don't know about you, but there's definitely this awareness in the back of my mind. Like I have to give people content every single week. You know, if Mm -hmm. I say I'm going to give people content on Tuesdays, I got to make sure I give people content on Tuesdays. And sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to creativity is like, you know, let's say your dog just died or your wife just died or you just broke up. And it's like, you know, the nature of what we do is we're in some sense, I guess you could say selling ourselves, you know, to we're in this consumerist society, we're selling a product and the product is ourselves. And part of that product, like, you know, part of my brand, we all have a brand, Anton Zakor, my brand is warmth, positivity, vulnerability, and let's say reflection. Those are the, you know, if I would ask my audience, you know, why do you come and, and watch me? They'd probably think, oh, you know, you're really warm, you're really kind, you're, you're very vulnerable, I feel very safe around you. Let's say my dad or my mom just died. I'd be in a very rough place. And maybe I wouldn't want to create any content. And then I have the added stress of if I don't hit the content on the day I promise, I'll let down my audience. And not only that would be that would be simple. You know, I mean, I could just be like, hey, guys, I'm going through something. I'm not able to post today. But then there's also the added there's the punishment baked into the entire system of if you don't hit a certain criteria on YouTube, it takes you out of the algorithm. And then you you literally it punishes you for not being consistent. And it's like consistency, there's there's a benefit, there's a beautiful benefit to consistency. But at the same time, like you said, we live in a society of consumerism and productivity. It's like you're always on. 
you can't you can't turn off for very long because then your entire existence, your income, everything is is punished. And so when you were talking about all of this, there's a part of me that feels that very deeply, everything you just said. And there's a part of me that sometimes, Greg, I wish I could just go into a cave in Costa Rica or Tibet and just escape everything and reset and take the pressure off for a moment and just disappear. And again, kind of like what you said, the society, this society literally baked into the fabric of what it is of consumers and productivity. It doesn't allow, it doesn't reward and it punishes. It allows, but it punishes that time of rest, reflection, hibernation. And so this is just all about my this point I'm making of what is your perspective on our society from that context and what do you think we can do to balance and not feel the pressure of everything I just mentioned? The two things that come up for me are boundaries and intention. So obviously we need to set up boundaries with our relationship with other people's expectations, our relationship with other people's experience of us. And a lot of times when we haven't fully individuated yet, we're so trying to micromanage other people's experience of us whether it's your brand, your image, and this extends from your personal one-on-one relationships into the collective on social media. Mm. You know, if you look at social media and politics, you know, look, if you start with social media, it's all about how many likes you get. If you look at politics, it's all about your approval rating. Yeah. You see likes and approval are, the measuring stick that we're using in society to measure people's success or, you know, image, whatever you want to take a look at. So you see how that's all externalized in terms of how other people perceive you. So what we're really talking about is kind of the root of codependency, which Mm -hmm. is the need to micromanage people's experience of us people's perception of us, how people feel about us, what people think about us. And part of the healing journey is setting a clear boundary that distinguishes my experience of myself and other people's experience of me. Unfortunately, the social media world and politics, that whole culture hasn't yet differentiated our experience of ourself versus someone else's experience of me. And this Mm. starts in childhood. If you think about like the child archetype that hasn't yet developed its sense of self, the child archetype develops its sense of self initially based on the feedback it gets from the outer world. Yeah. Right. So child sees mom as happy. So the child says, Oh, mom is happy with me. The child sees dad as angry. So the child says, dad must be angry with me. So you see the child is developing a sense of self based on how it's perceiving the environment and the people around it. Mm. So you could say collectively, we're still in the child archetype. 
because the child is what's based on likes and approval ratings because it hasn't yet individuated and established the boundary where someone could be upset with you, but you could still feel great about yourself. Wow. That's radical, man. Someone (laughs) could be angry with you and you could still be in a state of joy. Right. That's, that's where we want to head. And I'm learning this right now in my own life. I have not mastered this by any means. You know, I'm learning this in my own family and intimate relationships of someone might be disappointed in you, upset with you, angry with you, but that doesn't have to penetrate you and shift how you feel about yourself. Mm. Right? Because the truth is when we're being our authentic self, we're going to trigger people. We're going to disappoint people. We might upset people, but that doesn't mean we're responsible for their experience of us. So number one is boundaries. And number two is intention. When you really get clear on what your intention is in terms of your work, your sense of purpose, how you're utilizing your time and your energy. And a lot of this starts with establishing values. I think where a lot of people get stuck or get caught kind of in a trap is they set goals before they establish values. Mm. And when you set goals before you establish values, you either sabotage yourself in the pursuit of the goal or you sabotage the goal at some point. And the reason for that is you haven't developed core values which create an inner compass that determine what you say yes to and what you say no to. If you Mm. don't have values put in place, which are almost like the standards or codes of conduct or parameters that you live by, you really don't know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So, you know, for example, I value going to bed at 10 p.m., That's a value of mine. So if someone says, hey, man, like, would you like to do a podcast at 2 a.m.? I'm going to say no. Why? Because that goes against my values. Right? So if you don't have values, you don't have an inner compass as to what's a yes and what's a no. And, you know, people's goals, goals are always future oriented. Right. Mm. I'm, I'm wanting to achieve this goal in the future, but values are now values are in the present moment. Values are how you navigate life moment to moment. So one thing I always tell people, like, especially around like the new year, when it's all the new year's resolutions and all the weight loss goals and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. I always tell people like, don't set goals this year establish values. And if you establish values, you're not going to sabotage. But if you only establish goals and you don't have values, you will sabotage every time. You will either sabotage the goal or you will sabotage yourself in the pursuit of the goal. Right? Like if I have a goal of reaching a hundred thousand followers and that 2am podcast is something that might gain me a few followers. And I don't have values around my, you know, self-care, like sleep, for example. I might say yes to that. 
just because technically it's in alignment with my goal, but it's not aligned with the values that I have. So if I don't have those put in place, I don't really know what my intention is. Kind of mm. still have blinders on. Mm. Right? So boundaries, intention, and core values, I would say, is are the missing ingredients um, that we all need to reclaim in order to engage all of these aspects of our modern technological world consciously mm. and intentionally and in a way that we're not losing ourselves in it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That all, that all resonates. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can, you know, I know one thing that you love to talk about and we'll jump into this pretty soon is uh, archetypes and specifically the four survival archetypes. And I know mm -hmm. one of the, one of those is the prostitute. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what we're talking about is I know for me, you know, I don't know if I have the prostitute in the 10th house, but definitely because up until very recently, as you just said, I had set goals over values, you know, mm -hmm. literally it's like, oh, I'll get to a million subscribers. Not a single value is part of that. So I have done things, everything you just said. I've scheduled podcasts at times that weren't in alignment with me. I've scheduled podcasts with people that weren't in alignment with me. In alignment with me. Um, that's something that I really cracked down on values about two months ago. Um, I redesigned my entire podcast. I changed the guest type. Um, I changed the direction I wanted to go in. I changed my intention. And I started saying no to people that I usually would say yes to. Um, I started having values around the criteria of the kind of person that I will allow on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Because up until this point, I didn't see my, like, I see myself now as like a museum curator where every person that comes on, I, I am looking for a specific experience for myself, for my listeners for my future listeners. And a big part of that is trust is, you know, there's a lot of podcasts where people only tune in to the guests. It's like, okay, if, if I know the guest, I'll tune in. If I don't know the guest, I won't. And I think a, a part of that is, you know, human nature, you know, you like what you're aware of. Another part of that is maybe these people don't have a trustworthy relationship with the host. You know, mm -hmm. they don't trust that everyone that comes on was very intentionally picked. And that's something that I've really put a lot of, of intention into for the last couple months, you know, is just people like you and Ian and Kedrick and moving forward and all the guests I'm having in the future. Frederick Marx is coming on, an incredible documentary filmmaker, uh, Hoop Dreams and all this stuff. And yeah, I had absolutely prostituted myself out multiple times and every time it didn't feel very good. And I, and at the same time, I didn't know the alternative because the only value I had was my goals. It was okay. This will, this will get me where I want to go period. And I would just do that over and over again to the point where it would really keep me up at night. It, it would even to the point where when I was writing down my mission statement, um, 
I couldn't write down the mission statement I wanted because it was a lie. You know, my mission statement was I want to show I or I show vulnerability and honesty and integrity on a public scale. And I couldn't I couldn't write that down. I didn't have integrity because I was prostituting myself out for these goals. And, you know, I still, you know, I, I, I'm going to build myself up to the point where I can write down that purpose, not even mission statement. I, I like purpose statement more. Um, that pur- purpose statement of I want to, I'm going, I am showing vulnerability and integrity on a public scale. Because I think that is, as I mentioned to you, one of the things that is vastly missing from our world right now, I believe, is vulnerability. We all show it in little amounts to each other and our relationships and our friends. But as soon as we get to the public sphere, people are terrified. People are terrified of being not the guru. Because if they are say, you know, I struggle with this thing, you know, or, you know, I had suicidal, you know, thoughts a few months ago or a year ago, and they're a self-help person or they're teaching a course, it's, it's like, you know, I'll, why would somebody trust me? And I think that we've got ourselves to this issue in society where we believe that to sell a course or to, to take a course you have to take it from someone who is an enlightened human being who's perfect. And the issue is anyone who tries to be vulnerable has now in some sense, because the dominant paradigm is take courses from people who completely have their shit together. It's like if you're vulnerable, that can sometimes be perceived as not having your shit together and then you lose out on something. So I'm hoping that as we get more and more vulnerable publicly, we switch the idea from you have to take courses from people who are perfect to take courses from people who are you resonate with and who have achieved what you want to achieve both internally and externally. So from from your perspective, what are your thoughts on vulnerability and scaling that publicly, in your opinion? Well, first off, I think you can write that as your mission statement or whatever you, you called it in terms of the integrity and vulnerability, because the truth is we all have, for example, a prostitute archetype. That's not going to go away, but the fact that you acknowledge it and can say, yeah, that lives inside of me. And I could see how that's played out in my life. That's full of integrity and vulnerability. You know, I would say, you know, there's a lot of people in the world, especially in business and finance and politics that would never acknowledge their prostitute archetype. That's not integral, you know, integrity and vulnerability is, yeah, I got that shit too. And I've played that shit out all the time. And, you know, I think that's the person that you want to trust. The person that could see their own shadow and share those parts of themselves with an audience or with the world like that's the person you want to work with or follow the person who pretends like the, the guru who pretends to be enlightened 
is usually hiding a lot of those archetypes and a lot of shadow material. And there's a lot of kind of spiritual perfectionism, a, a strong spiritual ego in our culture where our ego just takes a lot of new age, spiritual, holistic ideas and uses it kind of for its own purpose, right? The ego uses it for its own purpose. And what we really want to look out for is where we're using a lot of these concepts as a form of self-preservation, um, power or control. And mm. I think you embody that integrity and vulnerability, not because you're not prostituting yourself, but because you're willing to look at the prostitute inside of you and say, yeah, me too. You know, that's, that's, I think what we all need more of. And I think also people on a superficial level, like that guru, that, you know, spiritual ideal that they think they're looking for, but what they're really looking for on a soul level is someone to connect with someone to really have a connection that they feel as though like, Oh, I'm not walking this journey alone. Mm. This person might feel the same way I feel. I think this is a lot of the reason that people wound other people or mm. people might cause pain in other people what we might call as evil or the perpetrator is because a lot of times when we're in pain, we feel alone. We feel isolated in our pain, but if we can cause another person pain and they're feeling the same pain we're feeling, we actually created a bond. Wow. We actually created a connection. And I think that's what we're all really looking for sometimes we just go about it in a not so healthy way. We're all looking for connection, a bond, a sense of belonging, a secure attachment to someone or something. And unfortunately we're doing this very unconsciously sometimes. Mm. And the truth is it's because a part of us doesn't feel safe. And when we don't feel safe, for whatever reason, whether it's childhood trauma, financial issues, um, just chronic stress, whenever we don't feel safe, we always revert back to those survival archetypes, right? Because when you don't feel safe, you're in survival mode. So the survival archetypes are what you go back to. So, you know, I remember being like a nine-year-old boy prostituting myself, you know, like my parents giving me 20 bucks to go to the movies and like for ice cream. And I'm like buying my friends movie tickets and like buying their ice cream. And it's just like, that's my prostitute. I'm buying their loyalty, wow. you know, cause I felt insecure in myself. I felt, you know, unsafe in social situations. Cause I never really expressed myself fully, never mm. felt really confident in actually connecting with human beings. So that was like, by nine years old, I had my prostitute archetype, like front mm. and center, you know, um, using money to manipulate relationships. 
I didn't, I didn't know I was doing it at the time. I just did what felt safe. And that felt safe for me as a nine-year-old who didn't really know how to express himself and connect otherwise and have any level of like self-esteem of like, maybe they'll still be friends with me, even if I don't pay for their movie ticket and ice cream. Like maybe I'm actually worthy of this friendship without buying them. Mm. But, you know, that's why the, that's why the archetypes are really helpful is because you could see it in everybody. You could see yourself in all of these patterns and know that it's not just you. We all have these. So it becomes less of like a personal thing. It becomes more impersonal, which makes it easier to look at. Mm. You know, if you pointed out someone's prostitute, but told them, yeah, not everyone has this, this might just be you. <laughs> like there would be way less of a willingness to look at it. But if, you know, when I'm coaching a client and we're talking about the prostitute and they get kind of like weirded out by the word prostitute, I'm like, well, let me share how this shows up for me. And then they're like, oh, okay. Like I get that. Yeah. I've done that a couple of times or the victim. Like I'm not a victim. It's like, well, let me share with you how I've played the victim in my life to get my own needs met. And they're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think one of the greatest coming back to like one of the greatest expressions of vulnerability, integrity, and leadership is whenever you're working with someone, sharing with someone, and you're supporting them in something that they're struggling with, find that inside of you first. Ask yourself, like, where do I struggle with that? And share that first. That creates such a safe container for someone else to then open up to those parts of themselves. And I think you do that beautifully. You're very willing to, like, share whether it's your prostitute or your depression or whatever it is. And I think that's really what the world needs is a, it, it creates this safe container for people to see themselves in that. And when we started, you were sharing about like a lot of the, the chaos and the fear in the environments and in the collective, like with the pandemic, you talk a lot about it being like an inside out game, you know, very recently in my life, I've connected with the fear inside of me, the, the chaos inside of me, the uncertainty inside of me. And it could be very easy for me to like point it out, like in the collective and not say like, okay, well, where is that existing in my own body, in my own psyche, in my own home, in my own relationships? And you realize that the world is always mirroring back to you some aspect of yourself. So mm. the fear, the chaos, the uncertainty, you know, the codependency, all of that, like the last few years have been a firewalk for all of us collectively, but really the collective is just an accumulation of a lot of individuals who are playing these patterns out in their own personal life. And that's where it's, it becomes a great healing opportunity. 
whether it's the anxiety, the fear, the depression, is like all these things are coming up for a reason. They're coming up for our own healing and evolution, not because there's something wrong or there's some like pathology that we have to label and diagnose ourselves with. I think once we can like let go of this kind of diagnosis labeling mentality and just see everything as what is this here to teach me, mm. you know, or what am I being called to step into or what am I being called? What am I being called to let go of? A lot of depression is really when we're being called to let go of something. Really? When we're being called to let go of an old version of ourself. Mm. And the depression is actually the death of an old version of ourself. Right? You, you could see depression almost as a seasonal thing. Not mm. in the way of like seasonal affective disorder like people think. Because it's like not as light out or not as warm out. It's it's no, like winter is a time of death. Spring is a time of rebirth. Summer is a time of growth. Fall is a time of integration. And a lot of times we think something's wrong with us and we either run to the doctor or run to a coach or run to a therapist. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if a tree had an ego and all of a sudden all the leaves are falling off the tree. And the tree is like, what the hell is wrong with me? And then it, the, the tree hires like a coach and it does all of, and it does all of like this work on itself. And then come springtime, like the leaves start growing back and the tree's like, yes, like I did it. But the universe is like, yeah, that was going to happen anyway. <laughs> if you just allowed the seasons to happen and the rhythms to happen and the cycles to unfold. So we're always working through cycles. And remember that when we're always consumer-based and productivity-based, we're always in linear time. Exactly. And we don't see the cycles, hmm. right? We don't see the seasons. We don't see the cyclical nature of time because productivity only exists in linear time. Consistency. Right, yeah. It's like this instead of this. I don't know if people can actually see me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the I people was drawing watching a straight well. line and then I was drawing a circle. Um, so it's very interesting how if you peel back the layers over and over again, you arrive at these very simple truths which is all of our pathology is really rooted in our in our perception of time if we let go of linear time and stepped into cyclical time how much of our pain goes away how much of our fear goes away how much of our uncertainty and stress goes away once we start honoring the seasons and cycles rather than seeing everything so linear. Mm. You know, a lot of the reason we avoid depression or avoid anxiety is because of our ego's perception of time. It says, well, if I'm feeling depressed, how long am I going to be feeling this for? Like a day, a year, 10 years? 
And that creates a lot of fear and resistance to actually surrendering to it. Mm. Where if you're like, yeah, this is just a season, but it's just going to like pass through just like a weather system. Then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm cool with this. Like, and then you're actually in a state of surrender and acceptance and you move through it a lot quicker. Mm. But since this ego is like, oh, if I let this feeling in, what if it never leaves? Yeah. Then we put up this wall and that's, that's a lot of the anxiety that we experience is like, don't let that feeling in because we don't know if it's ever going to leave. But if you see things through cycles and seasons, then there's much less fear in letting something in because you know it's just passing through. Mm. Amen to that, dude. Um, yeah. I, yeah, like literally one of my uh, questions that I, I know you don't like to answer questions, which is why I didn't send you an outline like I usually do. <clears throat> mm. But one of my questions on potential outlines for guests is um, when you're going through, because I, I also see depression as cyclical. Um mm is a changing of a phase. And my, my question, and you know, maybe you have insight on this is when you're going through a, a time of intense metamorphosis, when the very foundation of your views, your ego, your identity, your confidence, when everything is, uh, you know, upheavaling, everything is being broken, everything is being broken, broken. So it can be intentionally rebuilt. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're a content creator and you are the product, and I and I, I think you know what I mean by that. When you're going through these phases, should you disconnect from productivity, or should you continue to make content? And essentially, in a bigger scheme of things, should you continue to express yourself in the world when your energy is chaotic? and going through times of turbulence? I think everyone's different. So I don't, I don't think I could give like a kind of across the board answer. What about um, for I feel you? Like for me, there's a lot of times where I need to step away from the output. Mm. Um, I'm very much of a hermit. So when things come up for me, I very much tend to retreat inward and kind of just sit in it. Um, Sometimes I do that a little bit too much Mm. where I could probably benefit by using those, you know, dark times, lower energies as actually like a springboard for, creative expression. Um, you know, I was just listening to one of Aubrey Marcus's podcasts and he was sharing about his experiences with depression. And a lot of times he'll like write poetry, like during those times of like deep depression. And that's one of like his ways of kind of moving that energy, like the catharsis, um, of it. So I think everyone's different in what they're um, process is, but at least I know for myself, I can't always be putting stuff out there. So I think that also needs to be done in cycles 
and seasons as well. Um, and I think ideally it's best to wait until you feel inspired to share something. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to the intention of like not sharing out of like obligation. I hate that word obligation. Like that yeah. is like my nemesis of Me like too. saying or doing or engaging in things out of obligation. It was a word that was used very often in my family, like in family systems, like you do things out of obligation. Yeah. Like you, you have to, like you're obligated to show up for that or do that or participate in that. And I think that's very destructive because when you're doing things out of obligation, you're not really bringing your highest self and presence to whatever that thing is, um, where you're much better off not doing it and either someone else stepping in and doing that thing or just waiting until you feel inspired to. Because mm. I think, I think we get the most traction with our content when we're so aligned with what we're sharing, and our vibration is so is we're vibrating at the frequency of truth, our truth, and when we wait for that green light, I think we we naturally attract the audience and the people and the listeners and the viewers that we're meant to, that are meant to receive our message, our offering. So that's something I'm really working on in myself is really just expressing and creating what I feel inspired to now. Mm. And like not planning things out as much, like not, you know, just being very present with what wants to move through me today, this moment. That's why you know, I've, I've stopped like asking for like questions and outlines for podcasts. And I've uh, very often, like I, I won't actually prepare in the traditional sense for a podcast or even a coaching session. Really? A lot of times, well, what I've noticed after years and years of preparing for coaching sessions is you know the old joke, if you want to tell if you want to tell God a joke, tell God you have a plan. <laughs> and anytime I plan something for my coaching session and then I have the coaching session and I look back, I'm like, I didn't do any of that. Yeah. And I've gotten to this point where like there was almost anxiety around planning for my coaching sessions. Like let's say it's nine o'clock and or say, let's say it's 8.45 and I have a client at 9 o'clock. And at 8.45, I'm like washing the dishes after breakfast. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, shit. Like I have a, I have a call. I have a client in 15 minutes and I haven't prepared for this. So now I go unconscious and I'm like rushing through the dishes. And then I'm like scribbling some things on a paper. And then like going into the coaching session. It's like, wait a minute. What if I just washed those dishes with absolute presence and total mindfulness. Like it's the only thing I'm ever gonna do. And then once nine o'clock hit, brought that same presence into my coaching session. And that's what I've been working with recently. And what I've realized is 
they end up being the best coaching sessions I've ever had because it becomes this intuitive flow, this surrender that it's almost like, you know, you could say divine intelligence just takes you where it's meant to go rather than you preparing as a way of micromanaging. And that's what I've really been working with recently with a lot of that. I don't really know how we got here. Um, doesn't, it doesn't matter, man. This is cool. <laughs> but, but it's really about being, oh, it's about like the content creation and when, yeah. when it's time to like dial it back, when it's time to, and you know, my, my work is really right now in my own life about presence. It's mm. like, I have no idea what I'm going to produce tomorrow, what I'm going to create tomorrow. I just right. know what I'm going to share right now. Mm. And you might say there's a light and shadow side to that, but I'm really working with the light side of it because I've spent too much of my life trying to micromanage myself, trying to control reality. <sighs> and that ending up showing up in my content and it doesn't end up being like my best stuff. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with that question. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that exact same thing. You know, I, I micromanage everything and it's, it's out of a lack of trust. I, I don't, I don't trust myself enough to a degree that I can Yeah. I don't, I don't trust fully that left to my own devices, I can create something that will measure up to what I can create if I micromanage. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel like I need the logic to, to craft something worthy of presenting. And what's interesting is when I look around me at some people that I love and admire, you know, Paul Check is also one of my, I don't know if I'd use the word heroes, but he's definitely someone I, I look to for inspiration and guidance at times. And for him, it's really interesting listening to both of you because I don't know if Paul still does this, but um, last time I checked, he was a incredible organizer and an outliner mm -hmm. with very detailed notes and organizational tools and tons of research and reading everybody's books and doing their courses and all this stuff. And, and so there's been times where I've been very uh, guided by that way of being mm -hmm. where I, where I've been very design oriented. Sure. And then I've been also at times in my life, like, like you very flow oriented and just mm -hmm. going with where things take me. And what I've noticed so far with my life is I seem to, to jump back and forth between the two. They serve me mm -hmm. at different times in my life. Um, yes. for the last year of the podcast was very flow oriented, didn't have very many questions. And then when I redesigned everything in the last few months, I've been extremely process oriented and outcome oriented mm -hmm. at asking certain questions and designing certain outlines and conversational topics. And I think for me, I'm just as a pendulum going back and forth, I'm finding where my equilibrium is, where I definitely... Actually, I can't even say I, I tend to because I don't even know things change so much. 
Um, but right now I like what I'm doing. And at the same time in this conversation, I'm looking at my questions right now and we have not got to any of the questions that I actually had, which is exactly, as you said, very beautiful. And I love it when that happens. And, you know, I can also, yeah, relate to the obligation thing. Um, cause like obligation is like a form of prostitution. I kind of see in a sense. Yes. yes. Where I have prostituted myself out for the last two and a half years of YouTube because I was, again, terrified of not outputting. And if I, again, going through like a nine month depression, I, I outputted every single day for that nine months, multiple pieces of content, three pieces of content a day for like nine months times where I would get in here I'd look at my camera and I just have like anxiety, you know, the thought of having to smile, the thought of having to do my intro. I'd have to do my intro sometimes like five times just because I was so battling my perception of myself. Like you have to be happier, have a smile when you say that, say that in a certain way. And it's like when you're saying like, yeah, sometimes I just, when I'm not feeling like outputting, I just take a step back. Like my whole body was just like, whoa, what would that be like, man? <laughs> you know, just when you don't want to do something, just don't do it. And have you, and I don't know how you, um, if the word is make a living, but do you notice fluctuations of your income um, in relation to your out, output and your your mood cycles, how do you, yeah, how do you trust that, okay, maybe I won't be putting anything out for a month, maybe two months, maybe I'm going through something really heavy. How do you deal with the economic and emotional cycles of your moods? The financial aspect of it is very interesting. And it's something that I've been working with recently within myself and what I notice, for example, because I've had a, a one-on-one -on -one client coaching practice for almost 10 years now. Wow. And over the last couple of years, what I've noticed is whenever there's some sort of shift happening inside of me, some sort of transition inside of me, I noticed this period of a lot of clients on my schedule clearing out. And then there's like a couple of weeks, maybe even a month where my schedule feels pretty empty. Wow. And then I'm coming out of that transition into, you could say a new version of myself. And then all of a sudden I get this wave of new clients. And what you realize is, a lot of this is being divinely orchestrated and it's way grander and more interconnected than you could ever imagine. And mm. the truth is like as a podcaster, as a coach, people are coming to you for a certain reason. There's some aspect of your energetic signature that they want or need more of. But as soon as you start changing and evolving and your energetic signature starts to change, a lot of those people 
start to pull back wow. because energetically they're not getting what they need anymore or they got what they needed and they're ready to move on as you are moving on from that version of you as well. Mm. So all of a sudden you might see like this decrease in views or like this decrease in clients on your schedule. And then all of a sudden you go through some sort of death and rebirth and you evolve into a new version of yourself. And all of a sudden people start gravitating back to you. And it's the new people that are now ready for the new signature that you have to offer. So it kind of ebbs and flows like that. And of course, you know, your income is going to ebb and flow like that, especially for me where most of my income is based in my client coaching practice. So if there's a month where clients are clearing out because I'm going through a transition process, then yeah, I'm going to make less money that month. And then it's going to pick back up the next month because I'm stepping into a new version of me. And there's a new demographic that are kind of in co-resonance with that. Mm. Um, but that being said, even though I'm consciously aware of that, because I've observed it many times, it still brings up anxiety of like, holy shit, where did everybody go? Yeah. I have bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think where I've had to really check myself is to make sure that I don't prostitute myself during those times wow. needing to force the financial piece. Wow. And I might step out of my values in that moment because it's really fear driven. It's, it's based on kind of, uh, a scarcity mindset, mm. which those are the times where it's easy to shift into those survival archetypes. Um, um, so that's what it looks like for me. Also, I just want to share something, two things that were coming up when you were talking about where you were kind of finding this balance between like the, the structure and putting the, um, outlines together and then just kind of ebbing and flowing is, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Paul. So I've observed a lot of the way he operates. And if you think about kind of the irrational right brain kind of creative flowing nature on, you know, one side and then kind of like the rational, logical kind of structured um, other polarity. One thing that I learned from Paul, which I think he embodies beautifully is the difference between structure and rigidity. Wow. There's a big difference between structure and rigidity where structure is what creates the container for you to feel free. But rigidity is where you actually paralyze yourself out of fear, right? So Paul will create a structure for the podcast. But then when you get into the podcast, obviously Paul can go off in a million different directions. For That's why his podcast could be like 27 hours long. <laughs> yeah. Right? His, his outline is the structure. It's the container for the conversation. But within the container, there's freedom and flow. Where rigidity 
does not allow for that to happen. It's too restrictive, mm. right? So that's one thing I think really differentiating structure versus rigidity. And then you see this a ton with like people's exercise programs, people's diets, a lot yeah. of like the perfectionism. They're like, oh, this is my plan. This is my structure. Like, no, you're just very rigid. That's, that's, you're not free in that. That's not structure. That's rigidity. But structure might be, I have an exercise program, but based on how I feel every morning, I'm going to adjust it a little bit based on, you know, what I'm experiencing in my body and my energy levels. You know, I might do three sets instead of four sets or, you know, swap out an exercise here or there just to adapt to where I'm at that day. That's structure with freedom, with adaptability, right? That's not rigid. And then also the last thing is something that I've been really working with recently, which is when we're ebbing and flowing with life, there's a positive aspect of it. And there's also a negative aspect of it. The positive aspect of it is being in what's called intentional flow where you're in a flow state, but you have intention. Mm. The opposite of that would be what's called chaos flow. Chaos flow is for example, like when you go on your phone and like this pops up, so you click on this and then all of a sudden, like you're watching this and then this pops up and this was recommended. So you go to that. You're not, you're very unintentional. You're actually very unconscious, almost like in a hypnotic state. This is what social media really does. Like they're, it's designed to put you in a state of chaos flow wow. where you're actually in a flow state, but you're not, you're not at the driver's seat. Like you're not at the steering wheel, right? So intentional flow is when you're flowing with clear direction, clear intention. Chaos flow is when you're in like this hypnotic reactive state, like this unconscious reactive state where whatever is in your environment stimulating you or presenting itself, you're moving with that, but without clear intention. That's where people can get like lost in social media for like an hour and then come out of it and be like, what the hell just happens? That's not intentional flow. That's chaos flow. Mm. Right. So just paying attention to those two things, which is, is this structure or rigidity? And then is this intentional flow or chaos flow? Those are really important kind of frameworks to check yourself with. Mm. Yeah. That, thank you for sharing that. that. That was very, very insightful, especially the structure and rigidity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's almost like another word for structure is like intention. It's like sure. the thing you're creating, the outline, the rubric is not actually the rigid structure of what you're going to be adhering to. It is the intention that you're creating that you, that you want things to flow the direction you want things to flow to. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so now in, uh, in closing, before we finish up, what are you working on right now that you'd like to share with myself and, and the listeners? And yeah, what is the, the theme of your life you see playing out right now in the last three months? That's a great question. 
a couple things. The, the big themes in my life right now are number one, intentionality, mm. doing everything with clear intention. That's been, I would say at the top of the list, which is probably why, you know, we're talking a lot about it today because it's coming up really strongly in my own life is really doing everything with full, clear intention. And when you do that, you experience way less stress. So much mm. of our stress comes from doing things unintentionally. And it's a huge source of wasted energy when you're not intentional about what you're doing, whether it's what you're eating, how you're moving, how you're working, how you're speaking. So intentionality is number one. Number two is, you know, there's an old saying, well, a true saying, I don't know how old it is. <laughs> there's nothing outside of you. And it's just a very simple kind of spiritual truth, which is whatever you're experiencing in your reality is an internal process. It's an internal experience. So I think in our modern day culture, and it's probably human nature, whenever we feel uncomfortable or whenever we feel off about something, we very quickly look into our outer world to try and make a change, to try and shift something, whether it's a change in career or a change in relationship or, you know, uh, an environmental change. But the old saying, wherever you go, there you are, is so true. So I think in my own life, in the past, I've always been very quick to make changes. Me too. And I've been practicing whenever things that are uncomfortable come up inside of me to allow that to remain an internal process and not be so quick to to try and rearrange my outer life, my outer world to try and alleviate myself of some internal discomfort. So that's been a big thing for me is not really trying to, micromanage my life as much and allowing the process of life to happen. And that's really just a state of surrender. It's a, mm. it's a state of presence. It's a state of surrender. And it's a state of really witnessing what's unfolding without having to always do something about it. Right. And I think some people who are more like apathetic sometimes need to go to the other extreme of like, yeah, you need to take more action in your life. Mm. But a lot of us very often are in a process of learning non-action. Yeah. Which is there's a process unfolding in your life that you don't have to micromanage or do anything about. It's happening kind of like the tree whose leaves grow back. Like the tree doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to relocate itself anywhere like the cycles are going to really allow that to happen on its own. So it's been a big letting go process for me, mm. which very often feels like shit. <laughs> my ego feels so out of control and so um, 
disoriented when it's not micromanaging every detail or aspect of my life. Another big thing for me, you know, I, I live with my girlfriend and her kids from her first marriage. So I've never had my own biological kids, but we live as a family unit now. And prior to this, I was always in my own place, my own space, the way I liked it, meditate when I want, my own routines. <laughs> and I still have a lot of that, but stepping into a much more full environment wow. and much more, um, you could say chaos. Mm. A lot of my journey recently has been about finding stillness within the chaos, being able to sit in the eye of the storm and not feel victimized by your environment. Mm. And that's a lot of where boundaries come into play. That's where a lot of just presence and breath and just um, having practices to center yourself like meditation. But the the peace that I can find in the monastery, being able to bring that into my home and family life or in the streets of Manhattan and not lose my shit. Where do you live? Been, do you live I in live, Manhattan? I, no, I live in New Jersey. Gotcha. Sorry to um, Yeah, yeah. About 30 minutes outside of Manhattan. I'm in the suburbs, but I'm just using Manhattan as an analogy. Gotcha. Right? Um you know, like they say, a real meditator can meditate in the streets of Manhattan and get into the same place, get into the same space within himself. So I'm very good when I'm alone of being quiet, being still, being peaceful. But I've struggled stepping into the action of everyday life and maintaining that state of peace, maintaining that state of stillness. Mm. So... That's that's really been a lot of what my work has been recently. It's been intentionality. It's been being present with life's process without always trying to make changes and micromanaging everything. And then being able to maintain stillness in the middle of chaos. I would mm -hmm. say those three things have been the three main aspects of my personal journey. In terms of my work, you know, my, my online program, Healing the Minds, A Journey to Wholeness, is really my flagship 21-day program that is really a reflection of my healing journey, my work as a one-on-one a -on -one coach in terms of like physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health and healing. So that program is really kind of like the essentials that I put together um, for kind of like the, the, the collective that might not have the ability to work with me personally. Um, so that's been my gift to the world. Mm. And if anyone wants to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, they can always contact me directly, which I'll give my information and links and everything, which I'm sure you'll have in the show notes. Um, but that program is really what I've given birth to recently. That's been kind of, where my attention has been. And it's really a reflection of my journey of kind of going through this healing journey and saying, okay, like what works and what doesn't work. And really focusing on the things that I know work for sure 
from my own healing and then working with these tools and practices with my clients, whether it's different meditations, um, different healing practices, tapping techniques, breath work techniques, um, archetype work. That's just really, you know, a lot of where my passion is right now is getting my program out there as much as possible. Mm, beautiful. There's something that actually came up when you were sharing that. <clears throat> do, do you know, um, have you reflected on what you think your unique gift to humanity is? What I've been working with recently, um, and this has been with the support of um, my coaches and mentors, is, and one of my coaches, uh, Bonnie Nicholas, who's an amazing intuitive and psychic healer, she has been guiding me recently and really connecting with that question. Hmm. And the framework she laid out for me was very interesting. She said, there's teachers of the past, there's teachers of the present, and there's teachers of the future. Teachers of the past, I would probably put someone like Paul Check in that category. Mm. The teacher of the past is someone who carries all of the wisdom of our ancestors and the past lineages and the sacred rituals and teachings that have been with us for, you know, millennia. And they're like this walking library of wisdom from the past. Literally with Paul Check. <laughs> Literally. Like I would put Paul in that category. Then you take someone like a, like an Eckhart Tolle, who's just like, or a Ramdas, who's just the epitome of a present moment teacher. Mm. Like an Eckhart Tolle is all about presence. Ramdas was all about be here now. Like wherever you are in that moment, that's where your work is. That's a present moment teacher. And then there's the visionaries of the future of, you know, a new reality that's being ushered in. Like you know, Charles Eisenstein? A Charles Eisenstein, a Zach Bush. Yeah, Zach um, Bush. Um, a lot of psychics are mm. visionaries that they're, they really can kind of like perceive into the future and draw from the future into the present, what, where we're moving towards. Um, so I am very much a teacher of the present, mm. you know, based on a lot of what we shared today, a lot of my work right now has been really connecting to my gift as a present moment teacher of wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, that's where your work is. You know, there's nothing outside of you. So really engaging this moment fully. And I think that's somewhere along the lines of where my gifts reside. You know, mm -hmm. another way that I like to look at where our gifts reside are where our wounds are. Wow. And yeah. a lot of times the gifts are in the wounds. For example, when I was a child, I never spoke all that much. I was very quiet. I was basically like silent. And that was my natural state of being. 
was just like a silent presence. And obviously that makes people very uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So like I might be in the car with someone driving me to school or something. And I'm just like sitting there observing everything, like looking out the window and, but not saying anything. And I remember the question always directed towards me in those situations would be Greg, what's wrong. Mm. So I started developing this wound inside of me and this belief system of my natural state of being of quiet, silent, and observant is wrong. And therefore I spent a lot of my life trying to get some sort of like social approval by being other than that. So a lot of my journey recently has been giving myself full permission to return back to my natural state of being, which is just quiet and observance and allowing my gifts to emerge from that place. Mm. So another question that my, my mentor Bonnie asked me recently is where are you still rebelling against your natural state? Wow. And that was a really powerful question for me. And I've been working with that recently. And that's what brings me back to that present moment teacher. You know, if Ram Dass or Eckhart Tolle getting in front of an audience and they might not say a word for a few minutes, they might just sit there silently and just observe. And once they feel inspired to speak, they might say something, you know, but a lot of people get on stage and all of a sudden they immediately have to like put on this performance. And that's a lot of like social anxiety or performance anxiety of Mm. it's, it's rebelling against your natural state. Mm. So I've been in the process of reclaiming my gifts by giving myself permission to return back to that. Mm. Beautiful. And that is where we are going to end it. So thank you very much, Greg, for coming on. And I hope everybody enjoyed this and I'll see you in the next one. I love you. Bye. Thanks, brother. Thanks for tuning into the show today, everybody. If you enjoyed it and you want to show your support, be sure to click the subscribe button and share this podcast with someone you feel will enjoy it. And before we go, I want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Listening to Smile and Indigo Sun. And if you're interested in anything I mentioned regarding either of them, be sure to visit their websites, which are linked in the description of this podcast. And that's it. So I'll see you all in the next episode. I love you. Bye.